0: Thanks for listening to the AI and IT Ops podcast brought to you by New Relic. This is episode six, the full interview. For all things application performance management, AI Ops, digital transformation, and more, check out www.apmdigest.com. Our guest today is Mark Thiel, co-founder and CEO of Edgevana. And now, your host of the podcast, industry veteran consultant and analyst, Andy Thurai.
1: Welcome to the AI and ITO's podcast. I am Andy Thorai, founder and principal at the thefieldcto.com, home of unbiased emerging technology advisory services. Edge is everywhere, and AI is moving to the edges. At least, that's what my good friend Mike Thiel says. He also recently launched a company called EdgeWana, so I invited him to discuss that with our viewers, Mark. Welcome to the show and to the hot seat. Hey, Andy, thanks for having me. I'm excited about this. This is a perfect topic for today. Right. So let's start off with the big news you had a few days ago. What's this uh, edgevana nirvana? What problem are you trying to solve? Our original sort of our platform quest was
2: to make the world's data center capacity available and consumable in ways that historically it has not been. So when you think about the colocation facilities around the world, there are somewhere in the neighborhood of 8,000 of them, not including data center equivalents that might be considered more edge-like, maybe something like a central office or something at the base of a tower or something, but for traditional co-location data centers that... Generally speaking, measure in a megawatt to a couple of hundred megawatts for the very largest of the campuses, there are around 8,000 in the world. And if you remove the largest providers from that 8,000, there are still about 6,500. When you think about uh, what companies are doing today with business or digital transformation, uh, focus on edge, getting better access to the customer, and certainly globalization, you really don't have any choice but to think about your partners in almost any space from the perspective of how can they support you globally. And so trying to buy data center space in Lagos, Nigeria or Qatar or Marseille, France or Boston or trying to buy all of them can be a real time consuming activity. Even if all you need and you know, saying all you need does a disservice to people that build complex environments like a data center, but even if all you need is white space, power and cooling for some compute you plan to distribute or buy and locate there, it can be a very, very time consuming task and one fraught with risks. And you know, from my perspective, as a longtime practitioner in the IT space, I see time to value as critical in almost every single activity. If you've decided a project is worth pursuing, every minute you don't complete the project is lost opportunity. Lost opportunity to save money, lost opportunity to make money, maybe lost opportunity to do both. And so, What i'm trying to do is reduce the time to value for customers who are looking to globalize while giving them a wider selection of options in the data center and global infrastructure space because it won't be just data centers it'll be data centers it'll be networking it'll be edge services it'll be consulting services it'll be move planning all of these things will be available through our platform but Effectively, we want to make it easy. We want to make it like shopping to be able to go and buy the resource that you need and do it as quickly as possible. Centralized contracting, uh, centralized billing, centralized search against dozens of different factors to help you make choices that best fit your business. And I mean, I could go on and on, but I'll tell you the really cool thing about what's happened so far, Andy, is the it's just the amazing positive feedback we've received from the global community, from data center operators, from potential customers, And even brand name, literally everyone would know their name, large enterprises that are interested in partnering with us.
1: That's great. Particularly interesting when you're talking about go to 6,000, 8,000 locations and try to procure things. Procurement is a nightmare. And this is one of the reasons why cloud is so successful. It Not only eliminated procurement, but also moved provisioning to the automatic hyperscale level that your infrastructure wants to work. That's right.
2: That's right. No, it's absolutely right. It's uh, Procurement in general for IT is a pain. Uh, for data centers and networking, generally speaking, it's even worse. So the fact that I have a foot in both, well, actually, I mean, I should be three-legged, I guess, because I have a foot in the edge um, all the way up to the thigh, at least. Uh, I have a foot in the cloud at least up to the knee and a foot in the data center up to the hip. And that's been my work experience and my exposure. And so I tend to bring those together when I think about solutions. And I want to, as much as possible, bring the expectation that people have now for modern buying of infrastructure as a service to as many of the other services that people might want as possible.
1: Mark, I want to define something because the term edge means a lot of things to a lot of people. How do you define edge?
2: Yeah, I mean, for me, defining edge is getting the work next to where the consumption is, right? And so where the combination of economics and value to the customer or system makes sense, you put the compute and the infrastructure as close to the action as you possibly can. And so that to me is edge and there are hundreds of definitions out there i don't know if there's one that everyone has agreed to yet but in a simple nutshell that's the way i see edge and the difference is that there are thousands of different potential iterations of edge from what you know google is tr- and microsoft and uh, amazon are trying to call edge with tools like anthos and azure stack and outpost etc cetera, etc cetera, to the edge that's on a, an oil rig, offering analytics on drilling or pumping and pressures and stuff like that in real time, or at a refinery somewhere on land, or at a mining location in the middle of uh, of the country in Canada, where the information is so important that the difference between the data being sent somewhere else, hundreds of miles away, and then recovered and responded to, can be the difference between saving or spending $100,000 more a day every day on gasoline or diesel. And that's an actual example. And then to me, probably the most exciting aspect of edge really is the potential for an edge marketplace. And that's where long-term the edge would be made up of applications and services that can be supplied by a local business in a particular town or can be supplied by someone else who makes applications to help others experience the museums of other cities more effectively or experience the city parks or the subway or whatever the case may be. Any one of a million different... I mean, think about it. If we'd been talking about cell phones and and apps on cell phones in 2005... Would any of us ever believed we would need more than a million of them in either of the stores, let alone both? No, right? And so I see the future edge marketplace on top of the simple definition that I provided as one of the biggest unsung hero opportunities of this future edge. And it'll be driven by the ability for people to get really immersive experiences while they're
1: in the middle of doing something or using something. So, Mark, a few years ago, we were talking about IT, and then we started talking about AI, okay, and then Edge came along. Fine. What is this confusion about AI moving to the edges? Is it just a crazy talk or what? I think it really depends on your perspective. Some people don't believe AI actually
2: exists or can exist at the edge. My perspective is that some people are actually solving for AI at the edge already, but edge is to be defined by the customer really, right? And so if your definition of edge is a Raspberry Pi on a light post or a sensor um, on a shop floor, then maybe that isn't the place specifically for AI to exist or to actually function in its full feature set. But if your idea of edge is a rack full of high-density servers in front of a significant amount of storage from data being collected on a second-by-second second basis at the edge, and this environment is you know within 5 or 10 milliseconds of that edge of sensors and uh, customers using special devices, et cetera, et cetera, then that's still edge. And there's absolutely no reason why AI wouldn't be in that environment as a solution for the
1: customer and as a solution for the operator. Yeah, no, I completely agree with that. Actually, uh, in the last last episode of the podcast, Mac Devine from IBM, he made a bold statement saying that almost about 75, 80% of the data loses its value in a matter of milliseconds. No, it's absolutely true. And, you know, if you and I had had this conversation in my earlier
2: days of Edge, which was, you know, 2015, 2016 timeframe, I would have said latency, 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 latency. And to some degree, latency is still the king relative to speaking about Edge deployments. What's really interesting, I believe, is to your point about data and the validity of data is that you have two things driving the value of the edge. And beyond the fact that you get better access to customers and you get better access to solving problems in in environments and manufacturing, all those things are true. But from an output from edge standpoint, your big value is collect as much data as possible and provide as quickly as possible workable or usable results from that data. So that goes to your point about well, how much of that data is actually useful, I would agree that 75% or more of it is lost in value if you don't use it right then. It's also true that an even higher percentage gets lost if you don't use it for days or hours. And so you're getting down to the point where, you know, you may only have 5% data value. And when you combine that with the idea that you're then paying extra to put it on some high bandwidth connection to centralize it somewhere because you're not doing it at the edge, you're magnifying the impact of negativity, both from a customer performance standpoint, because you're giving them an application that now has poorer performance, and you're getting less value from the data that you're paying more to centralize. So in real terms, my perspective is, based on network design, based based on infrastructure design and usage characteristics, in many cases, people will benefit from latency at the edge, not because they need latency improvement, but because the best way to
1: solve the problem is to have the data as close to the problem space as possible. That's a key. You know, solving the problem using the data that's closest to the problem space as possible. I agree. Right. Uh, So I keep hearing about this uh, lowering the barriers to entry or or breaking assumptions or things like that you keep saying when it comes to the edge uh, concept. Is it... (laughs) <laughs> is is it more like a? Do you ever watch that Saturday Night Live skit called "Lower Expectations? Is it something like that, or is there a real meaning to it?
2: <laughs> it's a markism, maybe. Uh, and lowered barriers to entry is not truly a markism, but in this case, uh, I'll claim it as a markism in the sense that I put importance to it. It doesn't necessarily mean that everybody else will. But when I speak about lowering the barrier to entry from a really big picture perspective, I see IT from the fantastical eyes of a five year old, which is why I love being in IT. And so when I say I see it from the eyes of a, of, the, of a five-year-old, oftentimes I see all of the solutions, well, not all of them, but many of the solutions that are waiting to happen but can't, not because they wouldn't be useful, not because someone wouldn't benefit from them, but because realistically, the tech isn't available to support or the, or the volume of access, one of those two or both, are not available to support a monetarily successful implementation of the tech. So to put that in other words, it costs the average pharmaceutical company $800 million to a billion to bring a drug to market. So in order to bring a drug to market, they already have to decide that it's a blockbuster drug, meaning it's going to be somewhere between 700 and a billion dollars a year or more in revenue, or it never comes. So if you're in one of those disease categories where it only affects 100,000 people around the world over the course of a year, it's unlikely that your medical cure from a pharmaceutical standpoint will ever be developed because even though the opportunity is there, even though the life-saving, the life-changing opportunities are all there, the monetary benefit doesn't make sense. And technology and technology deployment is exactly the same. So in theory, everything we love about the internet was waiting to happen in 1989, just like it was in 1999. But in 1999, The lowered barriers to entry were more people had access to reasonably priced internet at home. More people had devices that actually used internet services while they were mobile, laptops and things like palms and stuff like that. And so you created a market and that lowered the barrier to entry for other people to enter the market and create a value-driven economy and marketplace that just attracted more people who could enter because again, their barriers to entry were lowered. And so... For me, I see edge development and the development of the edge marketplace in general, what I like to call the edge marketplace, as an opportunity waiting to happen. And its problem is that the vast majority of the opportunities facing the edge right now, I believe, are waiting to happen no differently than the App Store for Apple or the Android Store for Google were waiting to happen. They were waiting for the right barriers to entry to fall, enough people with smartphones and enough applications and developer community to make sense for people to put apps and provide differentiation and for people to use and or buy those apps from those stores. And I see the marketplace for Edge as being very similar. So why is it similar? Is similar in the sense that If those apps are small in value per person, then it's really hard for any one company to deploy that app around the world on their own. And what I'm trying to do is, for all intents and purposes, find a way to help lower that barrier to entry to help develop that market more quickly by making resources that are really already there more consumable, more effectively at better
1: prices. Okay, fine. But how was this new concept of Edge given that we just went through the IOT wave not too long ago, is developing and fitting with the enterprise IT infrastructure.
2: I don't want to argue with you, Andy, because we're friends, but I wouldn't say that we've gone through the IOT wave, right? I, th- I think we're, we haven't even gone up six inches on the back of a 30-foot wave, so we've still got a long way to go to crest on the IOT wave, as it were. From my perspective, the opportunity for IT. And for infrastructure at the edge is in two big categories, twofold. One is infrastructure that is meant to support applications and user experience delivered with low latency and better localized analytics to some degree to the problem we were talking about earlier for data. And the distinction I make there is that it might be infrastructure like that looks very similar to the infrastructure that might be found in a Google data center or in a large enterprise data center but it's deployed at the edge somewhere. And so this is just IT infrastructure deployed, managed more effectively to provide distinct and improved a more engaging customer experiences, among other things, or solving for problems where a manufacturer has uh, partners and the partner information has to be kept off-site, but has, still has to be local and low latency, et cetera, et cetera. Lots of, and lots of, of different options there. Where the other part of Edge is from an infrastructure standpoint, and then it it goes back to what kind of tools do you use from an IT perspective to support it? are all the different sensors, camera sensors, car sensors, uh, cameras in cars, LIDAR in cars, devices on your wrist for your medical care, uh, robotic hospital equipment. The list goes on and on to cover any one of a million different options from smart buildings to smart homes to smart parking lots, et cetera, et cetera. And so that infrastructure is made up by and large of individual devices or pools of devices that solve for a problem at the edge. What happens behind it though, is where some of the real opportunity is for many of these environments, because historically, it's not that we couldn't have put devices in a hotel or in an event center to pick, let's pick something. Let's pick the event center in Austin, Texas. And people have come from around the country to go to an event about edge and they're in the building, and when they walk into the building, their phone lights up with a 3D equivalent map that tells them all the things that they're interested in, where they're standing in the building at the moment relative to the conference, from classrooms to the next talking session, to booths from interesting vendors, et cetera, et cetera. And it even tells you, are there people in the booth? Oh, there's some people that I tagged who are friends who are gonna be here, I wanted to catch up with them, uh, you know, and how does this apply to my schedule? all of that data is valuable right then and there. It's not valuable a day later. It's not valuable next year. It's valuable right then and there. That experience is valuable from a performance standpoint. So why would you take that data? Delay the opportunity to provide a really good experience to the customer by sending the data somewhere else over a high-priced backhaul bandwidth, only to know that 99% 99% of that data is data you'll never use again, right? So for me, that combination of sensors and devices in that building supported by high value edge infrastructure on the ICT side, things like servers and network device and storage devices, et cetera, et cetera, are kind of the second portion of this edge infrastructure at scale.
0: The AI and ITOps podcast will be back shortly. I'm Pete Golden, the publisher of APM Digest. And I just want to take a break for a minute to talk to you about New Relic, the sponsor that brought you this podcast today. New Relic has done something a little out there. They reworked everything. See, they've been actually listening when people talk about blind spots or being stuck with a dozen different tools or getting hit with hidden costs. First, they went open source, making it so you can actually instrument what you need. Then they made it so you can monitor your whole stack in one place, including serverless. You can use telemetry data from any source for ridiculously cheap, and there's one UI with all your tools. And they completely change their pricing so you can easily predict it. This is advantageous because who has time to troubleshoot their bill? Best of all, there's a free tier with one user and 100 gigabytes per month totally free, so you can really make sure it works before you pay a dime. New Relic is definitely worth another look. Check it out at newrelic.com.
1: Observability made simple. And now back to the podcast. So what happens, Mark, is when you have the edge proliferation into the IT mix, the operations becomes very complex, particularly when you have divergence in both OT and IT. Uh, do you see it just an opportunity to help uh, with AI ops, which is trying to solve some of those problems? Or do you think it's adding more issues to it?
2: It's a great question. Uh, interestingly enough, I wanted to answer it a different way, but it deserves both answers. The first answer I wanted to say was, I don't see edge helping AI ops. I see AI ops helping edge. That was my first answer. And I'm happy to expand on that answer. But the second answer, so when you think about edge and you go back to your point about breaking assumptions and lowering barriers to entry, this is a great segue, I believe, is that if I want to deploy and I'm debating the the cost of something, that consideration, how I think about how I'm going to deploy and what assumptions I carry there. Are likely going to determine whether I think that there's a successful opportunity or not to deploy at the edge, right? I'm going to look at it. I'm going to go, okay, it's going to cost me this many people. It's going to cost me this much hardware. It's going to cost me this much networking. It's going to take this much time, this much due diligence, yada, 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 all that stuff. And so I'm going to say it's not going to be worth it. I'm not going to do it so that's why i say you need to break assumptions and so where do i where does mark mean breaking assumptions well it could be almost anything right in 2005 i was in among other people wasn't just me but certainly i was among the few in the data center market that were advocating for outside air to cool help cool data centers i was advocating for getting rid of the raised floor because pushing air through the subfloor and then attempting to push it up which is counterintuitive to thermodynamics didn't make sense. So, challenging assumptions again, challenging those assumptions for fun isn't the point. Challenging those assumptions because doing it another way is both more sustainable and more cost effective is what's important. And so, when I think about pulling out to the edge, I don't think about how do I take the rubber band that's around my current infrastructure and stretch it out over Austin, Texas. I think in the worst case scenario, I've got no people i can't afford any people i can't afford somebody to go out and check it even if it's a contractor on a weekly basis if something fails in it i have to be able to leave it there and pick it up a week later so how do i solve for those things well one of the ways you might solve for that is to build a server environment that doesn't require any cooling and you can do that and it doesn't have to be nebs compliant you can build servers today using available technology from companies like force physics as as a perfect example or you could do something liquid cooled, a little bit harder to set up, but has some of the same long-term effects and build an environment that has almost no moving parts. So not only are you using less power, so you're taking more advantage of a limited space in many cases at the edge so that you can get more equipment into it because you're using the power more efficiently, but you've got fewer moving parts because you don't even have airflow tools in the servers. So you don't have fans using anywhere from seven to 25% of power in a server you don't have vibration from those fans, you don't have to repair those fans, you don't have air conditioning units that you have to repair or change belts on or come out and clean on a weekly basis or monthly or yearly basis, whatever the case may be. Those are things that you can challenge the assumptions on. You can challenge the assumptions on what type of network to use, where to get that networking from. You can challenge assumptions for how a piece of hardware will get replaced or not get replaced. Like, well, if I can't afford to have a human go to every site I have across North America, because I have a 100 of them or 200 of them or 2000 of them, then what if I contracted somebody that happens to be driving by those areas all the time anyway, a local truck driving company or UPS and, and certify them as mechanics on my platform so that if I have a platform device or an entire environment fail, I can literally give them the keys to unplug the one that's there and plug in a new one, turn it on and certify that it's up and running again. Uh, Again, I'm not saying that that is the answer, but those are the kinds of challenging of assumptions that I, when I think about moving to the edge and getting there more quickly and more cost effectively, those are the things I think of. And I think those things are important because I'm a huge believer that differentiation at the edge with the customer is a clear and present opportunity for every company. And once some companies do it with apps that work just fine, which is what everybody says today... And they get them at 10 milliseconds or 15 milliseconds instead of 80 or 120 milliseconds. All of a sudden, just fine won't be just fine. And now you've got a competitive advantage.
1: As hard as the AIOps market is, the implementations of AIOps being put to use is is still very nascent, very initial stages. Why do you think that is?
2: One of the biggest problems that I've faced in advising companies in the cell space for IT infrastructure solutions in general is that, the more narrow the focus of the solution, the more likely you are to find the buyer, right? And many of the solutions that people are trying to sell into the data center space are actually for the data center, meaning they're for everything that makes the data center what it is, the entire ecosystem of power supply and cooling supply and space and, and um, efficiency and uh, the servers that are in them and the performance of those servers, et cetera, et cetera. The problem is, is that for the vast majority of companies, there's nobody that owns that story. There's somebody that owns the air conditioning. There's somebody that owns the power delivery. There's somebody else that might own the facility. And then there's the IT manager who has the controls to the door and makes requests of facilities for changes. But there's not really anyone that actually owns in the true sense of, I own that car. I make sure it gets air put in the tires. I make sure it's got up-to-date maintenance. I make sure that uh, I've got insurance, et cetera. There's no one that actually owns the entire data center. And so it's really hard to find the buyer. And you have the added problem, especially with things like AIOps or infrastructure as code, is that for those organizations which aren't putting a demand for 50% year-over-year improvement, similar to what Google has on their SRE teams, without that demand, people see the job they have of deploying infrastructure with whatever tools they use, manual tools, self-made scripts, whatever it is, they see that as part of what makes them important in their job. And why would they want to get something that makes that easier? Many organizations turn IT folks into heroes because they come in at two o'clock in the morning on a Saturday and fix a problem. And unfortunately, while that person may in fact be a hero, they may also be intent or otherwise the firefighter that starts fires to get glory. I don't mean that. in a, I mean, it is negative. There's no way to take it any other way. It's negative. But in many cases, it's not like the folks are doing it on purpose. But because they're not incented to break and fix things for the better, they're incented to keep what they have going without bringing new risk.
1: No, that's a a good point about, uh, you know, so you should be, you know, motivated to find problems and fix it as opposed to continue procedure as is and uh, because you have a SOP in place and don't improve it. And then some of those procedures may be, you know, very outdated. And your technology changes on a weekly or monthly basis, and your SOP may be about a year dated. So, are we really as efficient as you're supposed to be?
2: Right. An example I've used with a good friend of mine, Rob Hirschfeld, a couple of times in talking about helping sell uh, what they do, which I think is one of the best products on the market at Rack N for infrastructure as code type solutions and platforms. You know, when I when I talk to him, I go, you know, one of the problems that you're facing is that a lot of the the issues you're solving for, which I believe are critical issues, are the pebble or the scab or the wart or whatever it is on your foot that you've learned to live with. And the problem with learning to live with something is that you forget it and you don't notice your discomfort anymore. And so if you're complacent and you don't notice that it takes, you know, two hours to do something when it should take five minutes, or it takes four hours to discover the root cause of a problem instead of 30 seconds, and nobody else is telling you why that's wrong, then it just becomes the norm. And so, unfortunately, for a lot of these solutions, and AIOps are a great example, I believe, it really has to come from a culture driven by improvement, driven by individual employees looking for their next job, not looking to be the best deployment artist
1: in the world. So, you know, almost every vendor you see, it's kind of funny. I was just taking a, uh, I'm doing a report now um, recently for an analyst firm, as you know. And, uh, you know, I took uh, account of, you know, how many of the firms that um, our companies, vendors rather uh, claim themselves to be AI infused, AI enhanced, AI powered, AI assisted. I'm sure I'm missing about 20 other AI block terms. Are we overusing the term AI, especially when it comes to IT operations, or is it really you think it's it's adding a value as it suggests it does?
2: Well, you could be invisible and never talk to, or you could use AI when you're really just a smart decision tool, right? I don't know what the right answer is. Anybody that's ever known me more than a, a day and ever talked about numbers or anything like that knows that I'm conservative. So I have a hard time saying that I'm AI if I'm not, right? But... That being said, there are a ton of tremendously valuable decision-making tools out there that aren't necessarily true AI that still could bring a large value to an enterprise. In reality, it's what solution does it deliver is what's important rather than whether you believe it's AI, right? And, or whether it actually is AI. And to give you a good example I was on the road a lot and I'd go through the San Jose airport or the San Francisco airport or the Chicago airport. And I'd see some stupid advertisement for, you know, your phone system in the cloud or whatever. And it's like, who the hell cares?
0: It doesn't fucking matter
1: that it's in the
2: cloud. What matters is what does it solve for you?
1: Well, that's, that's how the cloud power comes into play, right? You got to use the cloud word somewhere or AI.
2: Right. And so, you know, with, with AI, unfortunately, the same thing is true, but in the end, I would urge folks that are looking at tools that claim to be AI, not so much about whether they are true AI, but whether they can truly meet the expectations that they suggest are true about the product and how will that help you. And if it'll help you, who gives a crap, whether it's an Excel spreadsheet that's super smart, really doesn't matter to me.
1: All right. So assuming that we follow this and spend a bunch of money to implement this how do you think the IT infrastructure will look like given the multi-cloud, hybrid cloud, cloud ops, edge expansion scenarios And say, about five years? Will AI be effective not only for the current but also for the future IT operations?
2: I'll make a simple statement with a couple of bullets to it. In five years, if you're owning any kind of infrastructure in a scaled distributed environment like you just described, or you could call it a distributed hybrid environment you know, or any combination of things, Anybody that's still owning real infrastructure and delivering services from that, if they're not using AI and something like an infrastructure as code platform, they're, they're, they're not going to make it. It's just that simple. They're not going to make it. They're not going to be able to be cost competitive. They're not going to be as responsive to customers. They're not going to be able to manage against trends of usage. I mean, like one of the companies that I work with right now can help you mitigate against risks of the fact that it heard from the news that a weather uh, event was coming or that a concert was gonna be happening. And based on historical information and or other usage trends, made a calculation that that event might cause you to spike in network demand or server compute demand over the course of X hours, and you should be prepared for it. And that's a very simple one, but other than that, it's also that IT, the blacker the box, the bigger the cascade, if you're not prepared. So the cascade in my mind is the cascade of failure right? And not everybody can design, not every solution can be designed the way Netflix has designed Chaos Monkey, although that's certainly a a goal worthy of, of everyone chasing. But without that capability, your best and only option is to be able to get notice about the fact that a problem might be occurring in your environment before the problem actually occurs. No differently than people are using edge now to determine when the bearings are about to go out on a large machine on a shop floor. It's exactly the same. And why wouldn't you want that in your IT environment? There is no reason why you wouldn't want that in your IT environment, unless you could argue that you've got a small enough environment with low enough value that uh, knowing something before it breaks would be worth it, even if it only happens two or three times a year. That's the only time AI wouldn't be important. Otherwise, I believe AIOps will be everywhere, or you will be failing if you're attempting to do scale.
1: Awesome. Awesome. Thank you so much, Mark, for agreeing to be on our podcast and for the great conversation.
2: Oh, thank you, man. I really appreciate it and uh, always enjoy the chat.
1: So you heard from Mark. Do you agree, disagree, or if you have an opinion, let me know. Let's discuss this further. Also, if you'd like to be part of our podcast, let me know that as well. Until next episode, so long and stay safe.